There's Bible verse I think about sometimes. Many times. It goes. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? Who shall I send? And I will go for us. Go for us. The idea is like a virus. Welcome back. This is chapter three on our study of Jonah, our dove, son of faithfulness. I miss saying that. Today we pick up in the heart of the story. Jonah has just been vomited out of the great fish, the chaos sea monster, and is on dry land. Time for Yahweh to ask him one more time. Chapter 3 starts like this. And the word of Yahweh came to Jonah the second time. Does the word of the Lord ever come to you a second time? Third time? saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preachings that I bid thee. End quote. Okay, do you remember what the message was? Let's go back to chapter 1. What's the problem in this great city again? Chapter 1, verse 2, out of the ESV this time. Sidebar on what just happened. I just quoted from the New King James Version, and then I'm switching to the ESV. I try to do that a lot when I'm looking at verses especially ones that bother me. Remember, the Hebrew scriptures were written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek or Aramaic, but I'm not getting into that right now. But they sure as heck weren't written in English in North America in the Southeast. So Michael Heiser, my boy, has a top 10 guide to reading scripture that I love, and I will be ripping off sooner in the coming episode. One of the 10 points is this. Quote, it is best to view the biblical texts in their original language, Hebrew and Greek, since most of us cannot, myself included, never trust one English translation in a passage. Use several and learn tactics for comprehending why they disagree. End quote. Man, that's good advice. You have to get to where you can learn what the scriptures might mean and what they definitely don't mean. These aren't golden tablets dropped from heaven. That's a whole other podcast. Okay, back to the book. Where was I? Verse 2. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So Jonah, go confront these people and preach against this horrible wickedness. And keep in mind the relationship or, or context of who or what type of people are in Nineveh. Again, This is the Assyrian capital. We spoke of this in previous episodes, but just to recall, this is like being asked to go to Stalingrad during Soviet Russia, which might have been worse than Hitler's Germany. If you're interested in that topic, go listen to Martyr Maid's podcast on that topic. It's called Anti-Humans, and then good luck sleeping that night. Or Jonah, go preach to the Khans of Mongolia, led by Genghis. Bad, bad hombres. Brilliant military minds, knowledge of how to conquer other people groups, and the will and the coldness to execute those plans. 
These are the people Jonah is asked to go have a discussion with. This is Batman asked to go have tea with the Joker. On paper, this will not work and Jonah might know it. This is bringing logic to a crazy fight. If you have ever had to have a discussion with a person like this, it's like talking to another being from a different dimension. They look right through you. That's what's coming up. So as stated for you delicate types in my audience, I have been pretty hard on Jonah and I understand, but I, I get his hesitation. All right, let's get into it. Jonah finally obeys. He had to be brought to the brink of death for that to happen. He's a very strong will. You might know someone like Jonah. You might yourself be like Jonah. It takes this bash over the head from God to finally get you to change your posture, which is why I love the Bible so much. God takes these people with these flaws and just paints over their canvas a story of good despite their best efforts. So beautiful. You should read the Bible. All right, quote, he went according to the Lord to Nineveh, end quote. I know I forget to say that sometimes. All right, so he's on the way, and the Bible says it was an exceedingly great city. Remember, I think this means in size and scope, three days journey to cross it. So, you know, what's that, 45 miles? So remember, this might be the satire part of the story. And the book, that is crazy, crazy big for a city, especially an ancient city. This is a monster. So here's another hilarious part of the story. Jonah goes how far into the city? One day's journey. He dips his toe into the city. We'll talk more on that. But here's his message. Ready? Here's his sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. (laughs) That's an eight-word sermon, man. Even funnier, that's just five words in Hebrew. That's it. That's literally it. Dude, that's so damn funny to me. Go read Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Lamentations page on page on page of messages from God to his people. Then we get this. Maybe it's funnier to me than to you, but I mean, (laughs) I love it. That's all he has after everything that has happened, everything he's been through. That's what he's got. I mean, he gives a time frame to work with in an event. Look, look back at what God asked him to do in chapter one. I'm not saying it again. You have to look in your Bible. Does he say anything about God or a God, an Elohim, an El or Yahweh, Adonai? Anything about their wickedness? Hmm. What's missing here? What did he just gloss over? Technically, he missed everything of substance, all of it. Overthrown by who, Jonah? We got the win, I guess. I mean, that's something. But what about the why? What's the blacksmith in the town thinking this message? The weaver, the carpenter. Overthrown for what? I'm just doing my job. Can we change this, Jonah? Is there a, a, a turn for us to do? Like put a paper bag over our head or something? Say a prayer? What deity do you rep? Jonah's like, sorry, guys. That's all I got. <laughs> So again, no one behaves as they should. These pagans from this war pig society, dripping with the blood of the innocent, what do they do? They repent like crazy. What did it take for the prophet of Yahweh to turn? And hell, it almost took his life. 
and yet this war machine nation gets five words of a mailed-in sermon and they respond in amazing fashion. What? Like I said, he barely even got in the city limits. Let's say that I gave one of my kids a message and told them to deliver it to their principal at their school or, you know, the entire student body. And they decide to stop in the parking lot and just read the message to whomever is listening. That was the tactic of God's messenger in this case. So after all he's been through, that's still his effort. Why? Why, Jonah? The author doesn't come right out and say it, so take this for what it's worth. Remember, this is Jewish meditation literature. Meditate on it. Flush it out. Wrestle it. This is just one of the theories, but it's okay to have theories on this. That's the entire literary genre of the Midrash and the Talmud. If there is a gap in scripture and you are wondering what was meant or what what maybe happened there, you are in good company. This is what ancient rabbis did as well, and they wrote about it. That's also a whole other podcast. So just remember why Jonah was running from Yahweh. Again, he's not afraid. He doesn't like the Ninevites. And by the way, for good reason. He might not want God's message to reach them. He possibly doesn't even want to give them the opportunity to receive forgiveness. They don't deserve it. Hmm. Time for the mirror again. Hate to tell you. Here we are again faced with God's grace. You aren't going to believe this, but it's almost like God wants to reach all peoples and offer them help, even the worst people or person you have ever met. It's like when the disciple John in his gospel is trying to tell us what it was like when God became flesh and dwelt among us, when he tabernacled with us. He said he was all truth, a.k.a. the only being completely innocent to hand out sentences and send out perfect justice. And yet, he was also all what? Is all grace. Amazing, amazing grace to all of us that don't deserve it. And as we were still sinning, how about this? Jesus was still giving out grace to the people that were literally killing him. Wow. Okay, back to the book and the response in verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. What? Shouldn't that say Jonah there? Jonah didn't say anything about God, did he? Look at that verse again. It's like they're filling in the gaps of Jonah's ridiculous message. You know what's funny? I've talked to friends who have preached a message at a church and just felt like they bombed up there. And they had thoughts of, well, good luck with that one, God. I, I zooed that. Hope you can open people's minds to show them what I meant to say. Or have you ever been in the quote-unquote leader of a small group or a Bible study or, God forbid, a couple's Bible study, and you're just way out over your skis on a topic and you're hoping it makes sense, that's that's kind of how I feel on this one. All right, back to verse 5. How, how do we know that they believed God? Because they called for a fast. So a, a symbolic rhythm of abstaining from food They put on sackcloth, an itchy, uncomfortable bag, literally. They're showing God that they are serious. They got the message. Penitent humility. 
So it's their actions that show us they believe. We in America or Western culture, we seem to miss this sometimes. There are two sides to the whole life change thing of becoming a Jesus follower. Yes, you have to believe. But how do you respond to that belief? How do you handle that someone just saved you from yourself? As I've said, what do you do with that new information? I'm not going to get into the whole faith versus work debate on salvation. I know Martin Luther was not a fan of the book of James because of all the works talk, but there is a funny line in James chapter two, where he says, I'm quoting the NLT version right now, quote, you say that you have faith for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, unquote. (laughs) Just a little sidebar there. I might have to name this podcast sidebar. Sorry. It's just how my brain works and sharp, sharp pivots constantly. The demons believe that there is one true God. They know he is messing up their plans and they don't like it, but they know what his jurisdiction is. There has got to be some expression of that belief on what's going inside. All right, moving on. Okay, so that's the people. That's the populace, the peasants. What about the king in Nineveh? How does he respond? Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. That's, That's funny to me. Jonah's five-word sermon at the edge of town made its way to the ruler of the people. So it it went viral. That's what happened. In our modern thought, this message somehow made its way to the king's ear, which is a miracle unto itself right there. The most powerful man in the most powerful kingdom got the message, and he responds in kind. He removes his royal robe. He also puts on sackcloth, and then he goes a step further. He sits in the dust, or some translations might say he sits in the ashes. Regret, remorse, repentance, lower, lower. Verse 7, and he issued a proclamation, a decree, and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Dude, that is a comical level of response. That's supposed to be funny as well. (laughs) Do you see how over the top that is? That is like saying, that's like putting your family dog in black clothing for a funeral. Do you see that? He goes on in verse eight, let everyone turn in the NIV. It says, give up in Hebrew. It's shove that's related to walking in the wrong direction from your evil and from your violence of your hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Stat check. This is the third time that a pagan in this short book has been concerned that his people might die if they don't change. Three. How many times has Jonah been concerned with this thought thus far? Zero. Of course. Another upside down position of this great book. Man, the Bible is bonkers. And I love it. These pagans don't know the character of Yahweh. That's why he says, who knows? Maybe he won't kill all of us. Jonah does know God's character. He knows his steadfast love. Jonah, like all of us, wants justice for others, but mercy for himself. 
Let me say that again. Jonah, a.k.a. you and me, always wants justice for the terrible behavior of others. But when we ourselves royally screw up, what do we immediately pray for? Please, God, this is the last time, I swear. If you will just X, then I will just Y. Please have mercy on me one more time. I swear this is the last time. (laughs) All right, so we get to verse 10. And what's the ultimate goal of God's judgment? What's he trying to do to us? How does he reply when he sees true, true repentance? Quote, when God saw their deeds and they had turned from their wicked way, then God had compassion and relented concerning the disaster which he had declared that he would ring upon them, and he did not do it. Unquote. What would you call that position by God? What what posture is this? What would you call it when someone has utterly and completely messed up, messed up their life, the lives of others, and they get called on it? They get called on the carpet. Then, when called on it, they realize what they've done, how horrible it is, and how truly terrible they feel, and they beg for forgiveness. They don't deserve it. Jonah knows they don't deserve it, and they get it anyway. That's grace, man. It is so beautiful when you see it put into practice. It's, it's like a small glimpse of paradise that we get to see. Out of his love, he renders judgment on our behavior so that we will turn to him. The moment we turn, we find grace. Big thought here. He isn't out to get us. He isn't playing with us like the other gods. He wants to partner with us. He molds us to be better and find new life. That is our only chance at a relationship with the creator of the universe. And he's doing everything he can to try and help us along and thank God for his patience. What a good God this is. All right, let's end the story right there, right? Like, like most of the stories you've ever heard on Jonah. I mean, it ends right here, right? It's kind of happy, I guess. Mission accomplished. God worked his magic despite Jonah, but we got the job done. This corrupt, murderous people group has been thwarted. Few. I mean, everybody calm down, right? Does this story kind of bother you still (laughs) thus far? I mean, let's say that, uh, I don't know, there's a murderous government in a state of power right now and they're killing innocent. Well, maybe we leave the innocent out for right now because no one's innocent. Uh, They're murdering human beings. People made in the image of God. They're killing women and children. By the way, I might not even be talking about the area you think I'm talking about because, spoiler alert, there are unjustified killings going on all over the globe. You just might not have read about it on Twitter, but it's happening. Look at Yemen, if you want, or Rwanda in the 90s. Stories like that really bother me today, and it really bothers Jonah in his world. He is a very human response to this. Just like we do when we see a sinner get redeemed that doesn't deserve it. Ugh. How about this? Let's zoom in a little closer to your everyday reality. Take it off the global news reel and let's bring it to your immediate circle of influence. Is there a person, a relative, ouch, a neighbor in your life right now that deserves judgment in your eyes? What do you think you deserve, Tyler? Sliding scale, I would assume as the story of Samson points out, which might be what I cover next. 
someone, someone has got to drop the jawbone first. Well, if they didn't do this, then I wouldn't have responded like that. Ugh. I am sad to say that I've said a statement very close to that in my past. What a child. Round and round you go until someone dies or hits bottom. That is not a recipe for a happy life. Trust me. All right, so let's, 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 let's land the plane here. Is there any good news for a people group that can't even repent correctly? Yes. The answer is yes. Praise God. There is. We are a community of Jesus. Listen to this. There is a king, a good king. He is not of this world, but he loves this world. He is overseeing things. He keeps seeing people ruining his creation and ruining themselves, whom he made in his image. He notices this and says, this isn't right, man. I have to do something for these poor creatures. So he brings judgment, but he does it in a way that we don't see coming. He is so perfect in his approach, and it hits us where we weren't looking, as always. He does the same thing that the Assyrian king does, but he amplifies it. He takes off his royal robe. He humbles himself. He comes down from his throne room to earth for us. He takes the status of a slave, a.k.a. a human, a servant, and absorbs his own judgment unto himself on our behalf. And it kills him. That's Philippians 2. Our pain, our tragedy, it kills him. But what happens? His love is so much stronger than anything, even stronger than death and sin and selfishness. His resurrection from the grave makes possible a chance at eternal life for all. Death was a huge problem for us. Jesus corrected that. If you accept his judgment on us and how messed up we are and you turn, the cross is a symbol of many things. If you take grace and judgment and love and put it in a blender, that's my best way of explaining what Jesus did for you and I on that broken tree. Jonah 3 is about seeing the way I used to act. The way I used to treat other humans was so embarrassing, so disrespectful to his creation. How I've spent my money and my time and my resources, it, it makes me sick on this side of the cross, man. But it's not about beating us over the head with this guilt. It's the opposite. It's about release. His judgment is actually trying to give us life, restore us, save us, not smash our ship against the rocks. And I would imagine your story is probably sadder than mine. And you have harder walls to break down, but man, I'm telling you, when you put that bag down, when you try to see things how God sees them, when you stop defining good and evil as you think it should be and excuse some behaviors, when you see that those things are not the way to life, you will be different. And if you feel those hairs on your arm right now standing up, pay attention. Don't turn it off, turn it up, and don't let go. I am Tyler Parker, and Sunday School is out, out, out.